Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Come on, let him know that you love him. Thank you, Lord. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Jesus, this is all about you. And Lord, I pray that this evening you would be glorified and magnified in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. You can be seated tonight. Praise the Lord. How many of you are happy to be here? How many of you are excited about 2020? I, I saw a meme on social media that said, uh, it's uh, only a week into 2020 and I've already messed up. 2021 is my year. Uh, and if that's the way that you're feeling, listen, it's not too late. The whole year lies ahead of you and great, great things are in store for you in Jesus' name and Great things are in store for Radiant Church. I don't know if you realize it or not, because those of you that go to this church, this might be normal to you. But I'm here to tell you tonight, this is not normal. What you guys are experiencing, the growth and the presence of God and the favor and the anointing on this ministry is really, really extraordinary. I have the privilege of preaching in some of the greatest churches in the world, and um, I, I, I see what God is doing all over the place, but I'm telling you here tonight, you are a part of something very, very special. And I just want to say, you know, I, I know that sometimes these things just seem like what you're supposed to do when you, when you preach in a place, but I'm telling you the truth. And I, I want to say to you, Pastor Aaron and Katie, your wife, and to the entire leadership team here at Radiant, you guys are doing an amazing job. Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember... Years ago, this is probably seven years ago or something, sitting down with you at a lunch and hearing about your vision, and um, I could see that there was definitely the grace of God on your life, but I had no idea what God was going to do. And, and this may sound crazy, but I really believe this, really. This is just the beginning. The best is yet to come in Jesus' name. I also want to, uh, to recognize the campus pastors because you guys are doing an amazing job too. Pastor Kyle, Pastor Kenton, Pastor June. You guys are doing amazing. Keep going in Jesus' name. And I believe there's going to be many more campuses around the city and the state and the nation. So it's a growing family. And also incredible worship by David and Alicia tonight. How many of you love the worship team? The music here at Radiant Church is outstanding. So you, you know, if I lived here in Tampa, I'd be here. I'd be your most faithful church member whenever I was in town, and a good tither too, amen. <laughs> How many of you know it takes money to do the work of God? And as you give, the Lord will give back to you. I've heard people say that we don't give to get, but the reality is when you read scripture, the Bible says that if you give, you will receive. It is a principle. For those of you that sowed into the offering tonight and and gave to our ministry. I don't get a single penny of that money. Uh, it, it's not about me. It's not about our staff. It is about the souls. And we have, we have discovered over the years, even though it costs about a million dollars for us to do one of our crusades, which I know that sounds like a lot of money, but we've discovered that on average, one person is saved for every dollar that is spent. How many of you know that's a good investment? You know, Pastor Aaron, you were talking about minimum wage being $4.25 an hour, but I remember you could get a Whopper for a dollar back, back then too. You can't get a Whopper for a dollar anymore, but you can get somebody saved for $1. And that's what your offering went to tonight. And so I wanna say thank you for that. And I also wanna just get to this really quick because there's something burning in my heart that I wanna share with you. And I believe God's gonna speak to many of you in a profound and life-changing way uh, tonight. But before I get to that, I want to mention the book that Pastor Aaron was telling you about. This came out yesterday, uh, my brand new book called Slaying Dragons. And this is the subtitle, it's a practical guide to spiritual warfare. Now, how many of you realize that we live not only in a physical world, but in a spirit world? How many of you know that? The physical, the, the physical world sometimes for, for many people is all that they know, but there is a spiritual world all around us that is even more real than the physical world. And I say that because the spiritual world was here before the physical world, according to the Bible. 
and the spiritual world will be here long after the physical world has passed away. And the Bible tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what that means is this. Are you listening? If your battle in life, if your battles in life are only being fought on the natural plane, you will lose. If you want to win, if you want to overcome, if you want to do something in your life that matters, you've got to have a revelation of the spiritual world. And, and I discovered, and I'm not knocking anybody else's books on spiritual warfare because I've read a lot of them and I've gotten great things from many of them, but I discovered sometimes, especially when I was reading what Charismatics had to say about the, the spiritual world, it sounded more to me like Harry Potter than the Bible. And I thought I, I wanted to write something not as somebody who's just a theologian sitting behind a marble writing desk giving you theories, but I wanted to write as someone who actually confronts demons all the time. This is my job. This is what I do. I was in a city in, in Liberia, a city called Monrovia, and there was a lady that was sent to the meeting, that, that came to the meeting that night. She was a witch doctor, and I know some of you don't believe that that exists, but I'm telling you, come on a trip with me to Africa. You'll believe it by the end of the, the trip. She was a witch doctor that was famous because her curses killed people. And I had a pastor that told me, he said, this woman is famous in the region. I know, he said, I know personally of 10 people that died after she put a curse on them. And it was so, so incredible. The pastors were afraid of this woman. And she came one night to the meeting to curse me. And this, I'll make a long story short. I was preaching on the blood of Jesus. She picked the wrong night to come put a curse on me, I'll tell you. And while I was preaching, she was over on the, you know, my left, my right-hand side of the field, and she brought some talismans, and, you know, we call them juju. I, I don't know why we call it juju. It's just stuff I don't know anything about, but it's part of their rituals. And she was getting ready to hurl this curse at me, and suddenly I heard something. This is when I became aware of her presence. I heard a blood-curdling scream, and I look, and she's writhing on the floor like a snake, foaming at the mouth, white foam coming out of her mouth. And maybe you say, well, what did you do? I ignored her. I ignored her because there was about half a million people listening to the gospel. And I said, devil, you did not, you did not deserve my microphone or my time. I'm not going to give you the platform space. I'm going to preach Jesus. But later on, we cast the demons out of that woman. She came to her right mind. She received Jesus as her savior. And when she stood on the platform, she announced to the crowd, she said, I came here to kill you tonight, talking to me. I'm like, good to meet you too. <laughs> she said, but instead, I've given my life to Jesus because tonight I learned that your Jesus is more powerful than my witchcraft. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Now, I, I, don't, I don't usually talk this long about books that I've written, but it's just a great story, isn't it? This is what I get to do. Can you believe it? And so I, in this book, I teach you not only how to slay the dragons in your own life. How many of you know that matters? But also how to deal with spiritual warfare in the world. And there's even a chapter in there about how to cast out demons. So if any of you are getting ready to go on a mission strip, you might want to read that chapter. Amen. It's called Slaying Dragons. You can be one of the first ones to read it. It's out there in the lobby. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. How many of you brought a Bible? How many of you read the Bible? You can always tell the ones that read the Bible because they bring it with them. Some of, you, some of you are trying to figure out where you left your Bible. You saw it sometime last year. Let me just share with you very quickly before I read this text what's in my heart tonight. I know this is a spiritual awakening service. It's a revival meeting. By the way, one thing you also may not know about your pastor is that he has deep wells of revival in his heart and in his life. Where we met was actually in a place where God was moving by his spirit in a way that was historic and still to this day, never seen anything like it. And... Um, I know that his desire and my desire as I'm here tonight is to see every one of you touched by God and by his presence 
in a life-changing way. Listen to me. I did not come here tonight because I needed a place to preach. I preach, um, you know, I'm on the road like three weeks out of every month, and I have five kids and a wife and four dogs. You know, I, my favorite place in the world to be is at home. I don't leave because I need to. I leave because there's a, a burden and a compulsion to preach the gospel. And I'm here tonight because I believe God wants to do something in your life. And, you know, uh, brother, brother Aaron mentioned the passing of evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. How, by the way, how many of you know who Reinhard Bonnke was? How many of you know of him or knew of him? Okay, there's a, a lot of you that didn't. Reinhard Bonnke, just so you understand, was the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. And I know you know of names like Billy Graham and maybe you know of T.L. Osborne or you know of, um, you know, others. But I'm telling you, evangelist Reinhard Bonnke led more people to Jesus than any person that ever lived. Not only that, he spoke face to face to more people than any human being in history. More than any president, more than any pope, more than any politician. He spoke to the masses. He had meetings where almost two million people per night would come and stand for hours to listen to him speak. You saw some of the pictures in that video that was just there. So his passing was an epic moment in the kingdom of God that something has changed. There's been a, a changing of generations. Billy Graham is gone now. Reinhard Bonnke is gone now. And, and, and many of these great generals of the previous generation have gone to their eternal reward. And now it's our turn. Now it's, it's time for this generation to pick up that baton of the gospel and run with it while there's still time. Amen. And so one of the things that I feel is going to happen tonight is that God is going to release mantles in this place, callings. He's going to call to many of you. And I tell you, when God calls, it's the most precious thing that could ever happen in your life. And so I want you to be ready for that. But here's what I'm going to do just by way of memorial to Evangelist Bonke. I want to play a, a video clip for you. And let me tell you what this is, okay? So we just had the memorial service for Reinhard Bonke on Saturday. So this is all very fresh in my spirit. And, and many people heard Reinhard Bonke preach to the millions, but I was, I was one of his closest friends. And many times he would tell stories behind the scenes that he never told on the platform. And to me, those were the best stories. How many of you know sometimes the best stories are the ones that not everybody knows? So many times I would take with me a videographer or bring my own camera and I would ask Evangelist Bonke to tell his stories and, and I would egg him on. You see, I knew him so well, I knew what to ask him. I, I knew how to poke him. How many of you have a grandpa? You know, if you say this particular thing, he's gonna tell you about the whole Vietnam War or something, you know? <laughs> I knew Reinhardt like that. So I knew I, if I asked the particular question, I'd get him to tell a story. And I would record him telling these stories and I got him to tell some of the greatest stories ever. I'm going to play you one of the things that happened. This is in his condo in West Palm Beach several years ago. We set this camera up. I asked him some questions. He told the story. I'm going to play it in two parts. The first part I'm going to play now. And then the second part I'm going to play near the end of the message tonight. I know this is going to be amazing to you. And remember, very few people have seen this. Okay, so this is really, really special. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, let's watch that first clip. I was dreaming. I saw a huge map of Africa. And then the next thing was, Africa became washed in the precious blood of Jesus, from south to north and from west to east. And I heard a voice cry. That voice was something extraordinary. I, I'm, I'm sure it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he cried, Africa shall be saved was like a thunder. I woke up. I said, oh, that is wonderful. The Holy Spirit was in the bedroom. I felt the anointing of the Spirit of God. And then my German brain began to tick again. And I thought, my ministry has no impact in this tiny little country of Lesotho. And now I hear God say, Africa shall be saved. There's something wrong. I must have eaten bad bananas last night. But I had that dream four consecutive nights. 
And after night number four, I said to my wife, honey, I think God is trying to tell me something. The mission board of the Felberter Mission, to which I belonged, came to investigate the whole situation. And I thought they were pleased that I was doing so well. But then he took me aside and he said, you cannot go on doing this. The printing press, all my evangelistic developments, they wanted to stop. I was just to be a missionary like their other missionaries. They didn't want anyone to fry an extra sausage. You had to stick to the rules, be like everybody else. And now I was pregnant, kind of pregnant, with that vision uh, of, of, of bringing the gospel of salvation to the whole continent of Africa. So I was now somehow in a dead-end road. I didn't want to offend my German superiors, but I didn't want to offend God. And then I decided to go uh, and hire a room in a hotel uh, right there at the border of, of Lesotho. And I thought, I'm going to pray here until God has spoken to me. I, I fell on my knees at the bedside there and I said, Lord, for the sake of peace, please allow me to agree with my German brothers. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And then the Lord spoke words that make me shake like a leaf in the wind. He said to me, if you drop the vision I gave you of a blood-washed Africa, I have to drop you and give it to someone else to bring it about. I shook. Physically, I shook like a leaf. I jumped up. I hadn't been longer than one hour in that hotel room. It was a very short fast. I, I paid my bill. I jumped into the car and I drove home. And I said, Annie, 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 God has spoken. Where's my typewriter? I'm going to write a letter to Velvet and I'm going to resign. Oh, and he said, can't you please sleep one night over it? I said, no, no, I can't. I can't sleep any night because God said he's going to drop me if I drop that vision. So I wrote my resignation and then peace, deep peace came into my heart and I've never looked back. Those very men who tried to prevent it later on congratulated me for not having obeyed them. So that is the blessed outcome. And like I said, that's part one, and I'll, I'll play part two for you in a moment. It's really powerful, really powerful. And I believe the Lord is going to call some of you in a very special way tonight. But let's read here. Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to read several verses here at the end of this very long chapter, starting in verse 57. But before I read that, I want you to notice that section of Scripture there. That section of Scripture has a heading. Now, these little sections of Scripture are called pericopes. For those of you that are Bible school students, I know there's Radiant College here. Remember, that's on the test, pericopes. And they have... Many times we put uh, titles on top of those. Those are not inspired scripture. Those are the editor's way of helping you know what you're about to read. So some of them say different things. Mine says the teaching about discipleship. What does yours say? Shout it out. Wow, I heard a bunch of you say the same one. The cost of following Jesus. How many of you have that in your Bible? Okay, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about the cost of following Jesus. We're going to start in verse 57. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, foxes of holes and birds of the air of nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now keep your finger there, we're gonna come back to this. I wanna talk to you about the cost of following Jesus, and there's three stories here. The first one is this man, and I want you to notice something about his story. It's a little bit confusing, because here what happens is you see a man who is probably a young man who comes to Jesus and says something to him that's actually quite nice. He says, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. How many of you would say that's a nice thing to say? That's pretty polite, isn't it? And yet the reaction that Jesus has seems completely out of sync with that kind introduction. He says, listen, buddy, birds have nests, foxes have holes. I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. And you're going to notice a theme here that with each of these three men that Jesus invites to follow him, there seems to be an improportionate response from the Lord. But you have to understand what's going on under the surface. Because how many of you know the Lord knows more than just what's on the surface in our lives? And even in the church world, I've discovered a lot of times, I'm going to step on some toes. I'm so sorry, Pastor. Can I do that? I'm an evangelist. I can't help it. I hope you brought your steel-toed boots. You see, in the worship, we say these things to God. That sounds so nice. I think it was Spurgeon that said the Lord could send the church to hell for the lies they sing on Sunday morning. We tell God all of these things about him and about us and about how much we love him and how much we serve him. But how many of you know that God sees past all of it? He sees right into the heart and he's not impressed by flowery words. He wants the real commitment of the heart. And what you have to understand about this first story is this. It was not unusual in Jesus' time for Jewish rabbis to have disciples. In fact, it was very normal. And they did their discipleship the same way that Jesus did it. They didn't sit in a classroom and draw on a chalkboard. They actually would take their students with them, and as they traveled and as they ministered and as they went from synagogue to synagogue, as they taught around their city or their land or their region, they would take their disciples with them and their disciples would learn as they went along the way. But here was the kicker. If you were a rabbi who wanted to have disciples, you were responsible to care for those disciples. Your job was to feed them. Your job was to provide housing for them. Your job was to clothe them. They were essentially your employees and you took care of them. So when this young man comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go, you have to understand there is an implicit question under that statement. What he's saying is this, Lord, I am willing to do anything for you. Now, what are you willing to give me in return? And Jesus' reply to him is quite frank. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I have nowhere to lay my head. In other words, listen, I am not going to negotiate with you. And here's the first key, the first requirement for following Jesus. There can be no negotiation. Everybody say, no negotiation. No. Say it again, no negotiation. no negotiation. I promise you that if you follow Jesus, it will be the best decision you ever make. But on the front end, he will not negotiate with you. He's not gonna promise you all the wonderful things that he'll do for you. What he says instead is deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, I, I can't take a lot of time here. I need to move on, but I want to tell you something that's kind of interesting. Years ago, I had a, a group of young men. The Lord spoke to me. He said, take five men, train them, and send them out. And so um, I said, Lord, there's two things I'm asking you to do if this is really what you want for me, because I'm a very busy guy. I said, number one, you send the men. I'm not going to go looking for them. And number two, you provide financially. And so the Lord supernaturally sent five guys to me. I wish I could tell you the story. It was amazing how they came. And they were really, really incredible guys from all over the world. And shortly thereafter, a, a billionaire called me and said, the Lord spoke to me and he said that you have a vision he wants me to fund. And he said, I'm gonna fund it completely. And, he, and so I told him what it was. He said, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to pay for their trip. I'm gonna pay for their housing. I'm gonna put them in luxury condos in, in Orlando for the entire year of their training. I'm going to give them a weekly stipend. I'm going to cover all their expenses. Okay, now I had a problem because if I were to say publicly that I had this kind of an opportunity, I would have had 10,000 people coming to me. I couldn't do that. So I kept to myself the fact that there was such an incredible offer on the table. 
And I had a, a conversation with the five men that I really b- believe the Lord sent. I talked to them about a month before they moved to Orlando. And my deal with them is if you're coming, you, you surrender everything. You lay down your life. You sell what you have. You move to Orlando. And I said, if I hand you a toilet brush, you're going to scrub toilet bowls and not ask any questions. You just do it, what we tell you to do. That was the deal. So I had this conversation with the guys on the phone. They said, can you give us an idea of what it will look like? Just give us a normal day. I said, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. I said, if God has called you, then come. If he didn't call you, then stay away. See, they didn't know that they were going to travel around the world with me. They didn't know that they were going to stand before multitudes and have the opportunity to preach the gospel. They didn't know any of that. And I couldn't tell them because if I had told them, then their motives would have been wrong. And this is what I've discovered with the Lord is this is why he doesn't negotiate with you. Because if he were to tell you on the front end everything that he has planned for your life, you would follow him, but it would be for the wrong reasons. So he said, I I can't tell you. I can't tell you. All I can tell you is this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Number one, no negotiation. Say it again. No negotiation. Number two, no procrastination. Say it. We're going on to the next story, verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, first allow me to go and bury my father. And listen to what Jesus says to him. Let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in the church. In fact, I'm a fifth-generation preacher's kid on my father's side. My mother's father was also a pastor. My wife's father was also a pastor. So I've been thoroughly pastorized. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly fine. No. One of the, one of the negative outcomes of be, being raised in the church is You know, a lot of times you you learn about something when you're a kid and you grow up with that understanding that you had in Sunday school and then one day it hits you, this is all wrong. I was never seeing this right to begin with. So I'm gonna tell you the way that I used to see this verse and maybe you don't have the same blind spot that I have, but I'm gonna be honest with you. And it's actually a little bit interesting when you realize what's really going on here because you see, I was offended by this story. And I'll tell you why I was offended. Because I imagined it happened like this. You know, there was the story in the Old Testament of Elisha and Elisha, Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah taps Elisha on the, sh- on the shoulder. Elisha's out in the field plowing for his father, and the, the old prophet taps him on the, field, on the shoulder and says, follow me. So Elisha follows him, and, and I imagine that's what was happening, is that there was this young man working in his father's field, and Jesus comes along. He's traveling across Galilee, and Jesus taps him on the shoulder and says, Follow me. And this young man says, Lord, I want to follow you. Yes, he says, I will follow you. But first, let me go to my father's funeral. Let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me. And I thought to myself, why was Jesus so impatient? Why couldn't he have waited a few hours for this young man to go and bury his dead father. I mean, how many of us wouldn't have had exactly the, the same response? How many of you, if your father had died and the funeral was later on that afternoon and Jesus asked you to come with him on a whirlwind trip around the nation, how many of you wouldn't say, Lord, I'm coming, just let me go to my father's funeral first? Wouldn't that be your response? Okay, a lot didn't raise their hand. If you don't want to go to your father's funeral, you have other issues. <laughs> we can deal with those later. I would want to be there. So one of the great things about the Bible, if you haven't learned this yet, it's amazing, is people tell me all the time, I tried reading the Bible, but I didn't understand it. And I say to them, well, did you try asking the author about it? Because you see, he was with you, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to teach us and to lead us. So when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is right there, and he's saying, just ask me a question, I'll tell you. And some of the greatest revelations I've ever had in Scripture happened in that moment where something in the page offended me, and I just said, Lord, what is this all about? This was one of those times. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, why were you so impatient with that young man? Why couldn't you have allowed him to bury his dead father? Why couldn't you have allowed him to go to the funeral? 
And to my surprise, the Holy Spirit spoke. And he answered my question with another question. You want to know what he said? He said, what makes you think that his father was dead? I said, well, Lord, I'm a preacher's kid. I know how this goes. <clears throat> and I looked at it. I read it again. I read it again. I read it again. And I realized, actually, it never said that the father died. It only said that the son wanted to wait to bury his father before responding to the call of God. And suddenly I saw it. I saw what so many people do. You see, it's not that he loved his father. That wasn't the problem. The problem were those two insidious, seemingly insignificant words, but first. But first. And I saw what so many of us do. I saw what many of you have done. I saw what has caused many of you in this room and watching in the overflow rooms now to come to 2020 with dreams and visions and callings from God in your heart that have never materialized. But first, many of us, the Lord comes and he calls us when we're young. I was called into the ministry when I was seven years old. We say, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me grow up. How many of you know God doesn't need you to grow up before he can use you? If there are kids in this room, he can use you at any age. He can even use you if you're a donkey. Or if you're the biblical word for a donkey, he can use you. So we get older, we go to college, the Lord calls us. Yes, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me get married and let me get a job and start a career. So we get a little older, we graduate college, we get married, we buy that house with a white picket fence and a dog and two kids, the perfect American dream. The Lord comes to us and he says, follow me. We say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you, but first, let me save up a little bit of money. Let me put my kids through school, then I'll follow you. So the Lord waits, comes to us later, follow me. Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first, I'm about to retire, let me collect my pension that I'll have something to live off of, and then it will be the perfect time to follow you. And every time God comes to us, and every time he taps us on the shoulder, and every time he calls us, we have a butt first in our lives. And one day they lower our lifeless bodies six feet under the ground, and there we lie, having never fulfilled the call of God. You know the most tragic place in the world? You know where it is? It's a cemetery. And it's not because of the people that are buried there. Everyone dies. That's part of life. What's tragic is what's buried inside of the people that are buried there. The Bible says that we are made out of the dust of the ground. And people bury their gifts within the ground of their own lives all the time. They bury their gifts. They bury their talents. They bury the call of God because they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of financial difficulty. They're afraid of physical danger. In the story of the talents in the Bible, remember there was one, one servant that buried his talent and the master said, why did you do that? And he said, because I was afraid. The devil will make sure that there is always going to be a reason why you can't follow Jesus today. I promise, always. If you're saying I've got to wait until this situation is resolved and then I'll follow Jesus when I'm back to life as normal or a situation as normal, it will never happen. It will never come. The devil will make sure of it. There will always be an excuse in your life. You know, there are people in hell right now. Some of you don't believe in hell. I believe in hell because Jesus taught hell. Jesus is the same one that said in my house, in my father's house are many mansions. Some of you believe what Jesus said about heaven, but you don't believe what he said about hell. You can't have it both ways. You either take Jesus at what he said or not. You don't get to cherry pick. That's not how this thing works. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And there are people who've lost their souls they're in hell right now, not because they said no to God when he called, but because the devil convinced them they could wait until tomorrow. You know, actually, the devil doesn't mind if you say yes to Jesus, as long as you don't do it today. Because the devil knows something that we so often forget, that tomorrow never comes. Even your next breath is not promised to you. All you have is this very moment. 
How many of you know the verse that says today is the day of salvation? How many of you know that one? Let me see your hands. Okay, that was a trick question. That verse is not in the Bible. You're like, I, I, knew, I swear that's in the Bible. No, look at it. It doesn't say today. It says now is the day of salvation. It could not be more urgent. Now is the day of salvation. Listen, if you're drowning in the, in the bay, you don't need someone to throw you a lifeline today. You need, need them to rescue you like now. And this is what it's like if you're drowning in sin, if you're drowning in, in, in darkness and addiction, you need to say yes to Jesus now. You can't wait another day. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I believe there's going to be two groups of people that respond tonight. Some of you that need to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you for the very first time. Your life will transform. This new year of this new decade is going to be the beginning of a whole new life for you. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of you would say, that sounds pretty good to me right now? Like, I need some newness. And there's another group of you. It's those that I believe God is calling you to follow him on a totally new level. Maybe some of you are going to go into ministry. Some of you are going to throw yourselves into the work of God. Maybe that, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to get on a plane and fly to Africa like I do, or maybe you will. But it means that something God has called you to, you're going to finally say yes and stop saying but first from this day forward in Jesus' name. Let's read one more here. The third one, verse 61. So first, we have no negotiation, say that. Number two, we have no procrastination, say that. And number three, no hesitation. Verse 61, he said to another, Lord, I will follow you, but first, let me go and bid farewell to those that are at my house. Jesus said to him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus amazes me. You know, literally, I'm not joking about this. When I read the words of Jesus, I cry. There's something about it. He knows his worth. He knows that to follow him is the greatest opportunity of life. And that's why he will not cheapen it. He will not lower the bar. I've heard some preachers preach, and the way that they preach, it sounds like, you know, God is Santa Claus. And really their invitation is come sit on Santa's lap and he'll give you a big kiss and give you lots of presents. Who wouldn't answer an altar call like that? I think we ought to string barbed wire up across the front, a fence 12 feet high and say, I dare you to come down here because he's worth it. And this young man says to him, Lord, I want to follow you. And, but, but first, let me go bid farewell to those that are at my house. And he says, any man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus saw right through this individual. He saw that although on the one hand he wanted to serve the Lord, he wanted to follow the Lord, he didn't understand who he was talking to. This was not just another preacher. This was not just another rabbi. This was Jesus Christ. And the people that were around Jesus, they often misunderstood who they were dealing with here. I want you to think about it. The men that followed Jesus, the 12, their names, the Bible says, are written on the foundations of the new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven to the earth. Eternally glorified because of their connection to him. Do you think that these guys understood who they were talking to? Do you think they understood what it was that was at stake? Here we actually don't know any of their names. The only reason we know about them at all is because of their epic missed opportunity. Their lives actually, the entire worth of their lives is only to serve as a warning to us. Don't be that person. Think about the ones that responded. What does it say? It says that when they heard Jesus call them, they dropped their nets. They abandoned everything and they followed Jesus wherever he went. Those are the kind of men Jesus is looking for and women Jesus is looking for 
is the ones that will say yes and drop everything else and follow the lamb wherever he goes. Any man having put his hand to the plow and looking back isn't fit. I don't know what it is that you're looking at back there. I wonder if you were to stand up in front of the room and articulate the reason that you haven't followed Jesus and you heard the word come out of your mouth, maybe then you would realize how foolish it is. What is it? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Are you afraid of somebody laughing at you? Are you afraid of losing something? What? Some money? Some popularity? What is it? What is keeping you? What is it that's drawing your attention back there? I don't know what it is, but I know one thing. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. And it does not compare. It does not compare to the exceeding greatness of the one that's calling you to follow him. I want to play the second video for you, and then I'm going to close. I want you to watch this. When, 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 when Evangelist Bonke said this last line in this video to me, I almost crumbled to the ground under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want you to watch. Go ahead. God will not allow anyone to thwart him and his plans. No. He uh, puts people out of the way and puts people in the way. But those who are willing to go that way, I felt God could overnight raise anyone, anyone, anyone else to do that job. But I was so keen to go with him and see nations uh, shaken for Jesus. Before we had the big tent, which sat 34,000 people, we had one that was sitting about 10,000 people. It was the so-called uh, 10,000 seater. And uh, we moved around South Africa, Southern Africa at that time. And so I came to the Transkei. And uh, while we were in the midst of our gospel crusade there, I heard that a very famous African evangelist was just uh, about 50 kilometers away. Uh, I knew his name and I was thrilled that he was so close. So the next day I drove all the way to that other tent and it was not the man there I had expected, not that great African evangelist, but one of his uh, deputies. But we talked and he said, the big man of God in 1972 decided to drop his crusade ministry on a large scale. I listened and listened and listened. And suddenly I remembered it was in 1972 that God gave me the vision of a blood-washed Africa that shook me to the core. In those days, I had not even known that great man, but the Lord, unbeknown to me, already put in a replacement. He has replacements, and they are all top choices. They are all top choices. They may be number two or number three, but when God gets hold of a man or a woman, he enables them to fulfill that task. And I humbly submit that that was the case in my own life. The moral of the story is, if I were you, I would not procrastinate and I would not just postpone it, I would jump and I would do what God has told me to do. It's in any case the highest calling possible on earth. It's the highest form of human living on earth. That's what it is. And to have the honor to be called by God is more 
than being the president of the mightiest nation on earth. Would you stand with me tonight? I know some of you feel a trembling in your own heart. And it's no coincidence that the Lord is speaking to you like this. In this moment, the beginning of this new year, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I first want to talk to the ones in the room that have yet to make the most important decision of all to follow Jesus to surrender your lives to him I don't know where you've been I don't know what you've done but I can tell you this this is what Jesus said if anyone comes unto me I will not refuse him under any circumstances that's God's promise that if you come to him, he will accept you. No matter what baggage you bring with you, he'll take you. And tonight, I believe that the Lord is calling to some of you in this room. He's giving you the opportunity like an outstretched, nail-pierced hand. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'm meek and lowly of heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I also feel in my heart there are some of you here tonight that are prodigals. And that means that maybe at one time in your life you followed the Lord, you served Him, you loved Him. But something happened as the years went by and your love grew cold and you found yourself out in the darkness away from your father's house. And as you stand here tonight, there's this pulling and this drawing on the inside of you. You say, I want to go home. And I'm asking you, what is keeping you back? In fact, I'm here tonight to give you a message from your father who's sitting on the front porch waiting for you to return. And this is what he says. I miss you. I miss you. I know you messed up. I don't care about all that. I just want you. My friend, if you'll come home, he'll put that new robe around your put new shoes on your feet and kill the fatted calf and throw the greatest party you've ever seen because there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. So right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to say yes, say I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus, whether it's for the first time or whether you're coming back home, I want to see your hand right now. Just put it up in the air. I want to pray with you wherever you are in this place. Come on, just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you, I see your hands. This is what I want you to do. Those of you that lifted your hands, I'm gonna ask you to do something that you might think is uncomfortable, but it's not. I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat right now and just come stand right here in front of this room. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. It's time to make a move. Time to make a move in Jesus' name. If you're watching in one of the other rooms, do something. You, you got to do something. I'm asking you to take your physical body, go to the front of the room, or if you're able to, come over here. It doesn't matter. I want you to make a statement with your own self that you've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Those of you that are here, I want to pray with you, and I want to pray with those of you watching. And we are going together to pray what I call the prayer of salvation. It's not in the Bible. It's not coming out of a prayer book. I'm going to just make it up ad lib, and I want you to pray with me. You may say, why do I pray a prayer that you made up? And it's because 
The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Jesus isn't speaking Spanish or English or Portuguese or Chinese. He speaks heart. And so all I'm doing is I'm putting my arm around you tonight and I'm trying to help you to verbalize the cry of your heart, but it's got to come from you. No one can pray this prayer for you. So we're going to pray this together and I'm asking everybody in this room to pray with me in support of those that are in the front, like a family, come on. We're gonna pray this together because these ones here are about to become your brothers and sisters. And so we're gonna pray together. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Those of you in the front, lift your hands. Do not whisper this. Say, dear Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you tonight, a sinner needing salvation. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Save me now. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I belong to you. And right now, I confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, that I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. I believe it. I receive it and I confess it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now look, Pastor Aaron's gonna come in a moment and give instructions, but before I go, I've got one minute left and I'm gonna use it. I know that I know, as, as sure as I am that I'm standing here talking to you, that some of you have just heard the call of God on your life tonight. Some of you have been waiting for a sign. I'm your sign. It's time. And if that's you, if the Lord has spoken to you tonight and called you and you know that, that, that he's called your name and he's tapped you on the shoulder. I want to pray for you. Lift your hands wherever you are. And I want those around them to put their hands on them right now. Everybody around these ones with their hands up, just come on, lay your hands on them. And I want you to begin to pray for them right now the way that you would want them to pray for you. Come on, pray for them. Begin to bless their lives. Lord, I declare in this new season that you are gonna break something wide open in every one of these lives in Jesus' name. I break every curse that's been spoken over their lives. I break every negative word that's been spoken over their lives. I break the power of fear over their lives. And I say to them, as you said to Lazarus in the grave, come out in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would use them and that 2020 will be the beginning of an entirely new era in their lives, in their families, and in Radiant Church. I declare it in the name of Jesus. Every chain is broken. Every weight is lifted. You will run that race with patience in Jesus' name. And everybody who believes it, say amen. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.